Hello everyone, uh, welcome back to, well, R2Cast number nine, almost ten weeks we've been doing this, well no, there are two weeks slots, but ten, we've almost done ten now, uh, really interesting guest again today, we've got uh, Brian Scott of The Farming Life, The Farmer's Life, sorry, The Farmer's Life, um, if you want to say hello there Brian. Hello, Brian Scott, how are you guys? <laughs> so uh, yeah, if, if you're here guys, uh, thank you for coming along, really interesting chat, uh, coming along, me and Brian have just sent maybe 10 or 12 messages to each other uh, don't really know each other but sometimes that makes it quite fun um, sort of totally coming at it from a raw opinion not really knowing what the crack is sort of thing so it can be quite good but just before we get into the interesting stuff I've obviously got to go over all the boring stuff um, just make sure to check out Rural to Kitchen on uh, Facebook Instagram YouTube and Spotify uh, the podcasts are obviously mainly on YouTube and Spotify um, but for a lot of other farming content and stuff, Instagram and the Facebook are there. And also go check out um, Brian's page, The Farmer's Life. Uh, it's mental. It's huge. I think your actual Facebook page is it not sitting about 80,000, 90,000 likes or something like that at the minute, Brian? Uh, yeah, 87, something something like that. <laughs> we, have, we have followers and not likes now, whatever that means facebook's oh is it different oh, is it, oh okay <laughs> I, I don't know <laughs> there's a lot of people watching you. yeah i can't keep up either <laughs> yeah it's pretty hard when there's that amount so yeah go check them out there you're on instagram youtube and facebook is that right yeah and i'm on twitter quite a bit as well twitter cool so go check those four out uh, i'll be honest i follow on the facebook and uh, watch some of the videos on youtube and um, but we'll get into a wee bit of that uh, as we go along but yeah thanks for coming along and uh yeah, we might as well get on into it. So, who who is who's Brian Scott then? What, what's your sort of story? I mean, where have you came from? That sort of thing. Yeah, I'm a fourth generation on our farm. Uh, farm with my dad right now. I was farming with my dad and my grandfather. He he passed about three years ago, but um, I I was always going to farm and um, went to college uh, with a degree in agriculture and. My last semester, I decided I was not going to farm, and I actually ended up working retail for almost six years before I uh, decided I don't I don't do regular jobs. So I decided to <laughs> come back to the farm, and uh, most of the year don't have anybody under me, and I don't have anybody above me either, which yeah. I like. So, and a lot more freedom than uh, you know being in the out there in the regular world, I guess you could say. For sure, yeah. I kind of did the same thing. When I finished my uh, agricultural degree, I went and worked for Enterprise Rent-A-Car. You might have heard of them, pretty big in your country. Uh, yep. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I jumped over, but it doesn't mean it's a bad thing. You some, I actually did what you did. I realised what I wanted. Um, yeah, so it's good to come back. So so fourth generation, when, when did your great-grandparents start with the farm then? So we are, we'll, we'll have to do some research and get some solid facts soon but yeah, we think yeah. here here where we farm in uh, indiana um i think in 2028 we'll be able to get our our nice sign out front that uh we've been in this one spot for 100 years so right okay it's been that long and i was thinking about this earlier this week uh, my last name is scott but we are irish if that's okay oh, no, it's, it's fine i don't take offense <laughs> I think that I'm not the best genealogist. I think somewhere other we came uh, from Ireland through Virginia to Kentucky and then landed here in the early 1900s. Right, okay. 
interesting stuff yeah and it's it's funny we've, we've we've been saying i've obviously got I'm, I'm in scotland and i've got a lot of followers in scotland uh but we've been saying farm so far we haven't actually really spoke about that farm and i know when you do uh, i think a lot of a lot of my followers in scotland are going to think oh that's a dream farm i'd love that type of place so so what sort of what sort of size are we looking at brian what type what type of farm have you got and that sort of thing <clears throat> just a little bit under 2500 acres and that that's basically a thousand hectares for people that use hectares and we're i tell people uh driving by we look like a uh, your regular corn and soybean farm but we're actually uh half for corns regular field corn the other half is uh what's called waxy corn um it's the starch content is different and that comes with a little bit of extra work, but a premium price. And then we also grow a couple hundred acres of popcorn. And mo most of the soybeans we grow are for seed production. So a lot of what we grow is what other farmers will raise the following year. And then we do a little bit of wheat as well. Okay. So so the, the I've got a few questions, I guess, from that. What, what, is, what is waxy corn? What, what is that? Yeah, so I'm on the spot. I'm not going to remember my percentages and everything. So oh, don't like, worry, don't worry, don't worry. I think everybody knows corn is pretty starchy, and it's a it's a much higher content of a certain type of starch. So it's it has a lot of uses in in food, and it also has uh, quite a few industrial uses. Um, they tell us um, like. Uh, glue and cardboard boxes or the glue on the back of an envelope, stuff like that. Okay, that's quite interesting. It's funny, you don't, you don't think of these things that, we don't think of farmers producing these things. You know, there, there's so many things I always think, oh, I know quite a lot of what happens with, uh, you know, production fields and stuff like that, and then you hear something like that. I honestly have no idea about that, so that, that's pretty cool. Um, you're saying there, Brian, that you, you produce seed soybean. Is that is those soybean varieties for feed or are they for human consumption? What, what, obviously you're producing the seed, but what, what are they, the varieties yeah, for? The, the, about two thirds of our beans are, are seed. So that's, that's contracted with a seed company and they, uh, they don't always take them all. Um, right. um, we actually only hold like three loads of seed over the winter. So now that it's April, we're starting to think they're, they're probably not going to take any more. So we yeah. still get, we won't get the full premium, but we do get some premium still okay. for storing them and all this kind of stuff. But the, the other third of our beans, which are commercial beans, uh, we don't actually take those uh, to an end user anywhere. So they could, okay. they, they could end up anywhere from the elevator we take them to. But, right, but, okay. but most of them around here are probably going to be crushed for oil. Right. Yeah, big market, big market. Um, there's, I mean, I've worked with worked with wheat for two summers, but I, I know some sort of figures here and there. But what what sort of tonnage per hectare or acre, whichever one you work in, are you looking at for for the likes of soybean or for corn? Yeah, oh, I have a post-it note to translate all that in my truck, no, which, which is not here. But uh, <laughs> I give you, um, oh, we look to be two hundred bushel plus on corn, two hundred bushel the acre. Okay. Yeah. I want to say that comes to eleven or twelve tons. I could be totally wrong. That sounds right. <laughs> that sounds correct. Yeah. And then we're um, 
mid 60 to 70 on soybeans. Okay. And are, are they are they just taking you, you were saying the elevator? So you'll I think you're taking them off with like the likes of an auger wagon and taking them elevating up them up into a grain silo. Is that right? And then they're taken from there, or how does that right. work? Right. So we'll we'll load into a auger wagon or grain cart in the field, and then our trucks are sitting on the road, and then we we have. Um, Oh, about 175,000 bushel of storage on the farm. So there's, depending on the depending on the yield, there's 75 to 100 truckloads that go to town during harvest. 75 to 100. That's That to me is just like that's mental. <laughs> yeah, and I, I I call us medium size in our part of the country. So yeah, I can imagine. But what's so now you said that? What is like a sort of big farm? What, what sort of size are you looking for your oh we, we've got a few neighbors over five thousand there's a couple guys knocking on ten thousand acres probably and then of course you go the farther west you go out into the great plains farms open up and then you know they get they get real big in yeah. canada they, i think they get kind of maybe not quite that big i think northern canada is maybe somewhat like australia where there's just yeah. There's nothing out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's crazy. Just vast areas of ground and that's it. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's mind-boggling sometimes some of the places you see. And is, is there any, I'm kind of going a bit off course here at the minute, but is there any um, like stock around? Is there any livestock in your area or is it mainly crop-based? Yeah, there's, uh, there's some cattle, not a whole lot. Uh, the main thing here is pigs. Uh, we're actually one of the top pork producers in the country. And uh, last I knew, our county is actually the top in the state of Indiana for pork production. All right, okay. so there's there's quite a few hog barns around here. Yeah, I take it that's all inside type based is all. Yeah, we have yeah. two large packing plants here within 20 miles of each other. And right. they, <laughs> they both shut down at the same time last spring. All right. They had one. Uh, there were a lot of hog plants having uh, COVID problems. Okay. Last, last spring, last summer. So they, I think they they ended up being closed for like five or seven days instead of two weeks or something like that. But man, that that stuff that gets backed up quick when you I can imagine you can't get the animals off the farm and then they're getting too big for market. And it was we we used to raise pigs, but we haven't for. Oh, 15 years or so now so right. it's it's a totally different world than when we were doing everything everything's contract now for the most part you pretty much you own the barn you don't own the pigs you're just renting the space to grow them out uh, okay. right yeah i mean it's when those contracts get sort of convoluted it can make it a lot more difficult to rear you know so maybe maybe it was a good decision there there 15 years ago to jump off but um, we might we might go on to COVID later on. Uh, it's it's always quite a, an interesting discussion. But um, just just for for viewers and listeners that aren't really what would I say acquainted with arable farms, uh, maybe don't know much about how how arable farms work. What what sort of when does your year start? I assume starting sort of near drilling time. What time is that? And then when? How long is it until harvest from then? Yeah, we're usually planting we like to uh if we picked a kind of ideal date we'd shoot for like april 20th 
to start planting. Um, we've been, last two years, we were actually right, pretty much right on that. And 20, well, not two years, one year, 2019 was very, very late. Um, okay. It was raining a lot. We didn't, we finished corn, I think June 3rd and didn't even start yep. soybeans until after that. So 2019 okay. was, that was an adventure and get, <laughs> you get kind of cabin fever. Cause like just right now, the first of April, you're like, all right, kind of like everything's like getting to be nothing to do around the shop. Everything's wrapping up. Let's get in the field. And then we had to wait another six weeks a couple of years ago. <laughs> it's weird for you get to that stage where you're almost ready to go and you just can't like you're like, no, that date's set, let's wait for it. So yeah. so you, you, you aim to get this the, the seeds in the ground at sort of twentieth April. Um I take it there's no no winter crops, that's all spring crops you're planting. There's no Our our wheat is winter wheat. We grow everything here is soft red winter wheat. Okay. And then everything else is spring apart from the wheat. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, you go on uh, north of here, maybe an hour, or get up into Michigan. You start seeing a lot of different, more specialty crops and produce and that kind of thing. But you don't really see that right where I'm at. Right. Okay. And uh, what what sort of so before before the the crops in the ground? Are you plowing? Or are you subsoiling? Uh, We're pretty much all no-till anymore. We've okay. kind of transitioned into that over the last several years. We actually actually have four fields we are going to till this spring because uh, we've we've got a few. We've uh, and I don't know if you guys do that over there. Um, we've installed uh, drainage in a bunch of those fields. Okay. And so uh, so those that don't know, basically we're we're putting a plastic pipe in the ground to drain drain water faster yeah. than and not have it run off the top. And, you know, that gives us like one field we have, um, there's a pretty good spot that's uh, often a uh, zero uh, on yield. So now, now it will not be. Yep. So that, that's, and tile is cheaper than more dirt is the way I explain it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And so those, you can imagine you're putting a, depending on what you're doing, like a four to a 15 inch pipe in the ground that that settles down so that's it gets to be a little rough so next year or two we go back and smooth those out but other than that we're pretty much all no-till and we're doing uh cover crops on about a, a quarter of the farm so just could you just sort of quickly elaborate just so folk understand what no-till exactly means <clears throat> yeah so um maybe um in your part of the world like i think people probably say direct seeding rather than no-till yes. maybe yeah. Yeah. yeah so we're we are not doing any like plowing or cultivation between the harvest pass and the seeding pass we're just it's totally undisturbed and we don't touch it and i, I assume that's good from a from a carbon perspective right because because you're obviously not opening up that ground you're not releasing carbon you're 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 sinking a lot of carbon into the ground there right um, and that's good. That's becoming a hot topic lately. There's everybody's got some kind of carbon program. Um, I haven't seen any I'm too excited about signing up for yet. Yeah. It seems like there's there's a lot of caveats and there's plenty of ways to probably not pay you. And um, <laughs> some of them are actually 
if you're already doing the stuff we're doing, you don't qualify. If, yeah, yeah, yeah. if you're running full tillage and switch, you're good to go. But if, if, if you're already doing it too bad. <laughs> yeah. Which, which, which surely goes against it all. Like if you, if you're doing, if you're doing the right thing and you're sort of being a pioneer, if you will, and you're going ahead of the curve, surely that should be incentivized. But anyway, right. let's, let's yeah, I've, down that hole. <laughs> I've seen people joking on uh, Twitter that they're posting pictures as their uh, carbon credit tool as they're getting out the old moorboard plow. They're going <laughs> to flip the whole field over so they qualify for the program and then go back to no-till. <laughs> Crazy, which, isn't it? which defeats yeah. the purpose of the whole idea. Totally. <laughs> but oh, that's that's yeah. kind of the way some of these programs seem to be set up. Yeah, it is, it is. it's more about changing than sort of keeping the good stuff going. But anyway, that's it's 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 a shame, but these these things are the way they are, and we are not going to change them, I don't think. Um yeah. so so that seed's in the ground. You've got that seed in the ground, um it's planted, and uh, what's what happens now between then and harvest time? What what's involved then? So we will, um, about that time, everything's getting a pre-emerge spray and that will, that'll be our most expensive spray pass because it'll have several things in it and it'll have what's called residuals. So it will kill weeds that have not come up yet. And then we're with corn, we're we're done spraying generally. Uh, we're kind of a one and done on corn right about planting time. Uh, beans we'll probably see in the late spring and summer, one or two more passes with um, glyphosate or something depending on what trait package we have. Um, yep. Gonna have some little different stuff this year. And then we have, um, we just brought home our new fertilizer applicator this morning. I will go out when the when the corn's got, oh, four to six leaves on it, and um, we will put most of our nitrogen on at that time. Okay. And is it just nitrogen, no P and K? We are looking at that because we are switching with this new applicator. Uh, we've always run anhydrous ammonia. I don't know if you have any of that over there. I'll be honest, I'm not good on it. <laughs> yeah, so that's... Um, that's a byproduct of uh, natural gas production, and okay. it's it's the most it's the most concentrated form of nitrogen, but it's based. I mean, you're using the same containers and everything. It's basically like handling liquid propane, for the most part. <laughs> okay. so it's in a it's in a pressurized tank, but it's very very cold stuff, um, and you gotta. I tell people, I said I'm not scared of it, but you have to you have to respect it. Yeah, is one thing. So. And so we are changing to liquid fertilizer now. So we are, you can't really mix stuff with the anhydrous. So we are now thinking maybe we're going to have some more nutrients in that, that mid season pass. Cause okay. that's, we're able to change some stuff up now that we've gone to liquid. Yeah. And, and what, what, what's the difference between liquid and I assume you're using prilled or something like that before. What's the difference between liquid and solid fertilizer? <clears throat> Yeah, there's there's not as far as nitrogen, there's not a lot of that done around here. Um, we have one neighbor that does top dress quite a bit of corn that just goes out and spreads dry, and it it does get a little burn on it in the center of the wheel track, right. but uh, it, it, that's just cosmetic; it goes away. 
in a week or two. So there's different, there's all kinds of different ways to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And then yeah, harvest time, what, what sort of, what sort of kit are you running for that then? Yeah. And that'll be usually late September when we get started. So we run, um, we just traded, we traded combines over the winter. So we're going to have a S780 deer and this is going to be our first machine on tracks. So we'll see how we like that. And we run a 12 row corn head, which is on 30 intros. That's 30 feet wide. And uh, we run a 40 foot draper for the beans and the wheat. Okay. 40 foot. Yeah. I'm trying to I'm trying to think what we were running before. It was, I say we, not not on our farm when I did harvest. I think it was ten point two five meters, which is thirty four ish. Was a yeah. class of uh, yeah, probably. Be, we used yeah. to run a thirty five foot head. Yeah, yeah. That that was the, the the Draper one I'm talking about. More more for the sort of wheat and that. But um, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. For it's it's funny. For it, it always takes me. I've got to go back to that header that I've seen. And think how much more is that so i can sort of think in my head how big it is and they just just the one you're running there brian yeah just yeah yeah, yeah. the one that does all the beans and the wheat and then we've had uh had a group visit from germany a couple of years ago and so they're they're walking through the tool shed and all our we got dual tires on all the tractors and everything and they're all saying oh you can't can't do that here can't do that here because unlike here you guys are driving through all the little villages and yeah small curvy roads and we've got pretty wide open space compared to what we see in europe and the the, the field size as well i mean uh, some of the field sizes that were in essex when i was there were massive in my head but what, what sort of what's the biggest field you you're you're working on there brian Roughly. our our biggest field's 277 acres so that's a little over a hectare's 2.47 so yes yeah, 120 yeah 120 25 something like that yeah and we've, we've got another one right right at the shop at the home base that's 250 and 166 across the road from that so that's a nice little little piece and then we've got two 15 acre fields so it's, it's funny when you say little. Um, our our biggest silage field is thirteen acres, <laughs> so yeah. gives you a bit of an idea. But um, yeah, yeah, the the one uh, the one fifteen acre is a triangle, and um, when I make one lap around the outside in the planter, I'm I'm halfway done. <laughs> <laughs> so what 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 size is the what size is the planter? What size is uh, it? It's it's a twenty four row thirty inch, so that's sixty foot, and. Yep. We plant corn, the corn and beans both with that. Yeah, yeah. That and the, the sprayer. What's that? Uh, the sprayer. Uh, we hire all that out to uh, retailers. So okay. we we actually don't do our own spraying. We are thinking about it, but it keeps getting bumped down the list as other projects come <laughs> up. So there's there's days in the summer where like I man, I really wish I had a sprayer, and then there's issues with sprayer and I'm like, well, I'm glad it's not mine. It's their problem. <laughs> exactly. It's always the case. The contractor gets stolen. What, what's the, what's the benefit there? Um, yeah. Do you, do you guys need in the States, do you need um, a license to spray? We need a pesticide application license. Is that the case? 
Yeah, so I have a, even though we don't do our own spraying, I have a private applicator's license. Um, I need that to purchase the restricted use pesticides, yeah. even though we're not the ones that are applying them. Yeah, yeah, ah, that's right. Because you've got, a, yeah, so we've got one where you, you need it to buy and uh, to store. And then you've got a separate one that's for like boom sprayers, a separate one for knapsack, that sort of thing. Um, so that sounds pretty similar, really. Yeah, you go to to get it the first time. You go to school for like a whole day, and then um, basically, as long as you go to like a few hours of training a year, which there's always meetings you can go to, uh, you get one point for your license. You get five points in the life of your license. You don't have to retest again. Ah, uh, okay, that makes sense. That's actually quite good. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, we're, we're obviously talking about spraying there. There's a big thing in the EU is we don't know the sort of future of glyphosate. Um, is is that a fear in the UK? In the US, sorry, you get is there potential of losing Roundup or? It's talked about, but I I don't think we're anywhere close to where Europe is at on that yeah. stuff. Um, I was said that group came over from Germany. I was with a uh, group of social media people. Um, we went with bear over to Germany and okay. we got to, we got to see a couple farms. And, uh, I just always remember uh, we were talking to one farmer cause we all thought it was really neat cause everybody had the, the brick barns with the tiled roofs and everything. Like, wow, those are really cool. Nobody has that here. And the guy goes, yeah, but you don't have to farm with dark ages technology either. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> but it, yeah, they were doing the thing, um, showing off bears thing about, I mean, cleaning the last, last little tiny bits of stuff out of sprayer, having like kind of this big concrete pad you wash the sprayer on and all that water goes into kind of like a bioreactor. And after yep. so much time, you can take the dirt out of the reactor. And I don't, I'm adding it up. And I was like, this is like a six figure, like nobody, there's like zero return on investment on that. Nobody here would buy that right. for getting the last couple grams of chemical out of your sprayer yeah yeah it, it, i mean the 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 laws on it must be a bit relaxed i mean I, I obviously understand the reasons why maybe glyphosate is getting zoned out there's there's a lot of reasons to back it up but it, it could be potentially damning to to the arable land and turn the, the stock industry you know um yeah but i was just interested where, where you guys sort of stood on it um yeah, yeah. i think everybody here understands they probably meant we did overuse Roundup, but for a, okay. it was it was the only trait out there for a while, yeah. and so and it worked very 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 well, and it still it still works really well. But there's a few weeds that you just can't kill with it anymore. Okay, so we need to make use of other traits and chemicals or cultural practices to tackle those problems. So, what sort of weeds? Are causing you problems? What the worst for us would be mare's tail. Uh, okay. Some people call that horse weed, but yeah, yeah, it looks like a horse's tail. And uh, water hemp is a very tough one. That's that's the worst for us. Um, and then we have Palmer amaranth, which we get some of. We got a scare of it several years ago, but it's never quite taken to our climate like it has in the southern states where it's i mean they're they're hiring like 
crews of 20 guys or something to come walk yeah. fields and pull, pull that by hand it's it's bad yeah it's like, like one one plant will have several hundred thousand seeds on it Jeez. you just can't compete with that <laughs> you just can't no no it's hard and they're coming up with i know um i think maybe there's a couple units here in the states i want to say it's called like the seed destructor or something like that so it's basically like a things developed in australia it's like basically a hammer mill you put on the back of the combine so all the trash that comes out the back runs through that and the seeds get destroyed but i've said the only problem with that to destroy a seed you have to have a weed that has gone to seed yes yeah, <laughs> so of course it's our in that crop year it's already done all the damage that it was going to do of course yeah it's like almost a preventative for future years well, yeah maybe. you're looking you're looking ahead at that point yeah and and is there any is there any pesticides out there that are treating against those uh, weeds you're talking about there, or aside from yeah. Roundup, that's tricky. But yeah, there are. So we've got dicamba tolerant and 2,4-D tolerant soybeans now. Um, oh, okay, right. The dicamba has been an issue here. There's been some issues with that and uh, it not staying where you lay it down. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Getting into your getting into your neighbor where it doesn't need to be, um, so that's we haven't had we've used it and have had zero issues with it. Um, I think some some of the problem with that was, yes, it's been four maybe five years now. Um, when they first put those soybeans out, um, they released the soybeans, but they didn't release the chemical till a year later. Okay. So I from talking to people online um a lot of where those where they're hiring those crews to hand weed um some of those farmers went and used uh, old generic versions of dicamba which aren't the new formulation that's supposed to be less volatile because they were so right. desperate i mean i think it, they've raised it to like i think twenty five thousand dollars now the fine for spraying off label was like a thousand bucks so guys were like these weeds are i'll pay the thousand bucks to spray the weeds. yeah but then uh yeah they ended up drifting onto neighbors that didn't have that trait and it is the first year was pretty ugly and we're seeing a few more restrictions every year on when like for us on our bean we can't spray dicamba after june 20th so okay yeah and a lot of times the water hemp is coming on late in the season so there, you, there's nothing Beans are much tougher to spray than corn. Um, okay. With what's what's available to you, so late late season weed control in beans is can be difficult. Right. Yeah. No, interesting. I mean, this, I, I don't know. I know very little about this. It's, it's it's very interesting. I'm sitting here quite quite excited to hear about it. So, um, what what sort of system do you run in the, the regards a uh, Sort of like, do you use? I think you've got GPS systems employed the whole way through, Brian. I take it. And are you following some kind of controlled traffic farming system? Or I was trying to gauge the size of your headers and your fertilizer spreaders and that and right. see if they're up. But uh, yeah, so as far as far as corn, we're pretty pretty controlled traffic. Um, six sixty foot seeding and putting fertilizer on it, sixty foot, and then harvest we're half the width of that yeah, of so we're kind of keeping on track there we cut a lot of people do this um 
soybeans we cut on an angle to the row because it just works a lot better <clears throat> so that that kind of destroys all hope of your controlled traffic yeah <laughs> at, that, at that at that point um but yeah so we found um when we really started no-tilling more um some of those high traffic areas where we're loading trucks and things like that um we actually went back and bought a subsoiler after we got rid of the one we had um because we could see on those gps yield maps we were we were starting to suffer after a few years okay. by not uh, going back and addressing that mechanically. Yeah. So we, we kind of selective ripping now is what I say we do. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense because I think, I think there's, there's this push to no-till and, and also sort of in gardening systems like no-dig and all that sort of thing. And yeah. uh, I, I, I totally see the merits and I think it's great, but I do sometimes think you have to tear it up. I think that has to be in there somewhere, maybe, you know. Uh, yeah. But I like it's to, if, like last, last fall, we did a little more because uh, last fall was very, very dry. So when it's dry, that's your chance to do a good job with some mechanical yeah. correction. So that if we were going to do it, that was the time to get some done. And uh, how, how do GPS systems work? So uh, I have a bit of an idea about this and how they all work, but you'll definitely know better. So if you explain to viewers how do GPS work and how, how does it all twin in together, that sort of thing. <clears throat> yeah, so we, we've been doing that since um, the fall of 2009 was the first time we ran something with with AutoTry. And there's, there's farms have been doing it since the late 90s. So yeah. it's, it's been around for a minute. I kind of joke, like, everybody's getting excited. There might be self-driving cars soon. I was like, well, the tractor's been doing it for almost 30 years. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Old farm boys are way ahead of you. But uh, <laughs> um, No, it's it's really, it's pretty simple. Um, of course, it can get more complicated depending on the shape of the field and stuff, but basically for all our stuff. So, if I'm, if I'm going into a new field and want to create a new track, so you just pull up so your little dome on top of the tractor if you ever see the little yellow dome on a john deere tractor that's your gps receiver and is that green, green star is that the name of the yep green yep. Star, yeah. and you'll just punch in what type of track you want most of the time it's going to be a straight track uh, you can do curved tracks as well there's different things um you hit select an a point and then Later, you just make a B point and it snaps a chalk line between the two of them. So let's say if my planter is 60 foot wide, it's going to have that chalk line every 60 feet across the field and you'll turn around and catch it and be perfectly right on top of it going back. And that that is very nice. Um, I mean, almost everybody's on GPS now in this part of the country, but uh, it's it's almost hard to explain until somebody does it you don't realize how much mental and physical energy you use just trying to keep the tractor straight until you don't have to do it anymore. Yeah. And then, so I, I find myself not all the time. I mean, sometimes, yeah, you, you can sit there and watch YouTube or Netflix sometimes, but you can actually spend a lot more time paying attention to what you're really doing and yeah. not just trying to drive in a straight line. And then it also, once you're on gps that that's the cool part to show people but it opens up a whole nother suite of technologies um 
section controls probably the best one so like my my planter is 24 rows but we've upgraded it so each meter is controlled with an electric motor so i really have 24 individual planters so if i've got a field with an angled side i plant that angle first and then as i come into it each individual of those rows is going to shut off when it gets to where it's already been so that there's no and then apply that not just to seed but um chemicals and fertilizers as well so that's you're getting so, environmental so what, and a and a economic return there yeah hugely what did you call that there sorry brian we call that variable rate technology over here yeah vrt yeah. we call it that section control or swath control, or, control that's what you said, yeah. Yeah. no it, it's amazing <laughs> really and so how do you do you like drone map that field before that happens or how how do you input that data that it says well, there's no ground here or this needs less nitrogen how do you input that right data? oh that yeah so um we don't do all the whole farm at once so about a quarter or a third of the farm we soil test every year okay and that is that is broken down into zones um you know based on elevation and the soil type and different things and then what's called a prescription can be created from there for seed or fertilizer so a lot of times um we have really good phosphorus tests on a lot of our ground so a lot of times most of the zones in those fields will say they'll call for zero phosphorus so the dry fertilizer spreader will go out there and let's say a regular 80 acre field it might only be putting phosphorus on 25 of them yeah yeah it's a massive economic saving. Massive. You know, like over, oh, yeah. over the course of your farm. Yeah. Huge. Yeah. Brilliant. And then, yeah, yeah, apply that to basically anything you're putting in a field anymore. And that's adds up. When we went, the planter we had before this one, it would shut the rows off in pairs. And now that we're shutting them off individually, I actually, my acre counter was dropping an acre or two in fields. Right which I, I was just going from two row shutoff to single row shutoff. I was su- surprised at the, I mean, that's a lot. When you're getting into 250 to $300 for a, a bag of corn that covers two and a half acres, you're, you're talking some serious money over a thousand acres of corn. Yeah. You're, you're, you're almost able to see extra tonnage of corn that you're getting paid for instead of paying for your operating costs. Like, that's brilliant. Right. And it, and it's not just, the extra seed you put in the ground those those areas you overlap don't yield as well because there's too many plants there yeah so you're you're winning on both ends of that yeah uh, like i as i say like i'm from i'm from a livestock farm and and in scotland where there's there is obviously arable systems and there's big kit and stuff but uh i focused on this my masters and it always interested me and it's actually really cool to speak to someone who's employing it all um just just when we're talking sort of it's obviously you said it was a medium-sized operation for where you are. Um, how You said you worked with your dad. How many people is involved in the farm? I take it harvest time, there's more people. Uh, right. Um, part of the reason uh, we've gone to no-till, I was kind of wanting to try it, more of it anyway. Um, we had a full-time guy, Randy, that worked for us for 20 years. He unfortunately passed about six years ago. And 
I had come back to the farm five or six years before that, and we we had more. And my grandpa was still alive, so there there was four yeah. of us there every day, and sometimes that was almost too many. Yeah. So what the no-till has let us do is basically until harvest, Dad and I can do everything. Yeah. Because we're just we're just putting seed in the planter and going. Um, we're not trying to. Uh, time how far we are behind the field cultivators so there's just enough moisture in the ground but not too much and it's not too dry and we just we go and then yeah we actually have um in the fall it's dad and i and i'm in the combine um dad's kind of if we're doing corn dad's directing traffic and running the the dryer grain dryer back at the farm and my brother-in-law kind of has a lot of freedom in the work he does so he will usually take a month or so and drive truck for us. Um, have a guy I used to go to high school with that is actually the uh, assistant police chief in town, but okay. he takes about six weeks of paid vacation the last three years and he drives truck for us. Okay. And uh, one of our landlords drives a grain cart. Okay. So that's, that's a nice little crew we've got right now. So yeah, we're doing well. You know, it's a big saving in, in, in labor as well, the sort of no-till. I never even considered that. Um, yeah. It really cool. it really is. And I've been telling this story of a couple of years ago um, where we had kind of a wet fall. And you like to avoid doing tillage when it's wet, if you can, because you can actually do more harm than good. And I remember it was um, Thanksgiving Day and Christmas Eve. You could go on social media and see guys out with their disc grippers like, well, this is as good as it's going to get. So we're going to give it a go on Thanksgiving day after we eat turkey and then uh, Christmas Eve before we go to bed. And as we had switched all the no-till, I was kind of like, well, this is kind of nice. I'm not concerned about doing damage because I wasn't going to go out there anyway. And Yeah. Yeah. I'll just Probably. take a nap and eat more turkey. <laughs> <laughs> more, more time for the wife and kids as well. It's good. Good. Um, <laughs> Which I think we often forget. I think the farming industry is good at forgetting the sort of you've also got to switch off for a time. Um, yep, and we've got uh, we've been pretty good about that. Uh, baseball season's about to get started, so um, we do we shut the planter down and go to the baseball game. We'll just stay out later if we have to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, good. Um, it's it's. Uh, just one more question. Um, what you mentioned, sort of the, the wet, wet things and whatnot. What sort of weather can you expect in a year for you, are, Brian? Is it, you know? <clears throat> yeah, we will go. We've had a couple of mild years. We actually had quite a bit more snow than we have the last few. We actually had a stayed cold for a while. We had a foot of snow on the ground for a month here, right. which is a little unusual, but. Um, it was also very, very, that was like the only moisture we had till a couple of weeks ago. We had a very, very yeah. dry winter, but we go from here in Indiana. Um, we, of course, we'll be on Fahrenheit, not Celsius, but we'll go yeah. from, uh, we can be 20 below zero and we can be up to a hundred degrees. So we can make that Jeez. swing in a year's time. That's 20 below zero, a hundred, a hundred degrees is 39, is it? 30. Yeah, I was going to say it's probably close to 40, something like that. Yeah, and then 20 below zero will be 
Oh, I'm not even going to try that. I don't have a clue. <laughs> yeah, I know. But yeah, we uh, uh, we are actually on um, spring break last week from school, and we took the boys down to Disney in Florida, and it was it was uh, 75, 80, and then the last last two days it was getting to be in the mid 90s, and it it wasn't that bad. It ended up being a little cloudy, but I was kind of like, my body is not ready for this because <laughs> I. I came from 40 to 90, so. Great change. Great change. Yeah. yeah. We, we are sitting at about, oh, God, I couldn't even give you a temperature at the minute, but we've probably just hit about maybe 15 degrees Celsius today, and as I said, I'm getting a bit of sunburn, and, you know, we're, yeah. we're different. We're built different. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, but I saw you were, I saw you were at, at Disneyland, and that sort of takes me on, I guess, to the sort of last section. It's, it's really interesting to talk at the farm, and I could literally sit here and talk for for hours because it, it interests me a lot um, but the reason I knew you'd been to Disneyland was was the sort of social media following you've had uh, there Brian guess we get into that when when did you start social media has that been a thing that's been on for a while or I started in um, two, it was 2011 the beginning of 2011 so I guess it's been 10 years now yeah. I think about it um, I started with my blog which I think my first few posts were like a paragraph and no pictures or anything <laughs> like that and i i was the guy that was not going to get on facebook and yeah now here i have this big facebook page to manage and <laughs> all this all this other stuff but it's there i do have i i've talked to other people i'm i'm not alone in this i have i have days where i'm like i could i could just delete all those accounts and be done but then i go back and like I've had those trips to Germany. I've got to go to DC several times. And then all, all the friends I have now that I wouldn't otherwise, that's some, some days that's what keeps me going is yeah. the stuff I would not have gotten into otherwise. Yeah. And, and, and so did it start, start with a blog and then did that go into Facebook and what was the sort of transition? Yeah. I think Facebook was next. I think I had a Twitter I didn't use for like two years after I started okay. it. And then uh, I've tried to get a little bit more serious about YouTube the last couple of years. And then I, I focused uh, last year on kind of learning how to monetize some stuff to make uh, you get, you get to a point where it's big enough for like either I need some return on this or I don't want to do it anymore. Yeah, <laughs> so absolutely. Cool. I, yeah. I, I think early on when I was starting that kind of thing was um, kind of taboo. And yeah, it, it would have been then. Yeah, you were looked down upon to try to make a dollar, but now it's it's kind of you know that's almost where you need to to be to make it worth your time. Yeah, I, th I think um, it's it's a it's a it's a it's a recognised diversification. You know, if yeah, if before it would be have a farm shop, have a you know have a second job, whatever. But but doing YouTube and and the likes of running ads here and there is, is a is a legitimate way to earn a second income and I I in no way uh, look down for, for doing it. I think it's brilliant. Um I had one question about that. Uh, what was that gonna be? Um yeah, just one last thing about that. You've got uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and YouTube. Is is there any that you enjoy more? Do you enjoy pushing anything in particular or what what sort of thing there? Oh, I think <laughs> Lately, I've enjoyed trying to figure out YouTube some yeah. just 
because Facebook's been there the longest and the it's the, by far the biggest. Yeah. It, it's easier in some ways because I know the content is going to get seen. It's funny because yeah. I'm basically putting the same videos on Facebook and YouTube, the long form videos, and I'm getting uh, if I get to a thousand views on YouTube, I'm pretty happy, and I'll I'll get that in a few minutes on Facebook. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's 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 frustrating that it's not happening the same on YouTube as Facebook, but um, YouTube I kinda go like is much harder to get views, but the views you get on the views you get on YouTube are incentivized more. Uh, they're they're uh, there's one, that's not, I mean, there. Yeah, you can make. Yeah. Right now, I would make more on a YouTube video from ads, or sorry, on a Facebook video. But like, if you broke it down like per thousand views or something, it's yeah. YouTube is a lot higher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's exactly what I was trying to say, but I couldn't, I couldn't get the words out. Yeah. Um, and I yeah, thought I might really. give it a try. Give it a try once planting starts, and there's a lot more interesting posts. Um, my Facebook is eligible for like uh, people to do like a monthly subscription, which I would okay. need to, I would definitely need to provide some kind of like exclusive content, be kind of like a Patreon type thing. But I'm kind of like, who, who is going to pay five bucks to see more of me? And, <laughs> you know, but like, I know for all I know, 10,000 people are going to do it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, that's, that's the thing. Like so many folks say, who would do this? Who would do whatever to watch me? Yeah. Well, right. ninety thousand folk have went out and clicked something to follow you. Uh, yes, not ninety thousand folk are going to pay five five bucks as you say a month, but right. some you know some if, are. Uh, if a hundred of them did, it'd be worth it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and I thought, and, oh, maybe I could just do like sit down one Sunday night or month, and you can come on the private chat and ask me whatever. That yeah, and folk, folk love that. Yeah. yeah. Um, some some folk some folk that are doing that sort of thing uh, run like an exclusive podcast. Um, right. It's like the thing they do. They don't do a podcast, but they do a podcast for their patreons. Um, there's loads of different things you can do, but yeah, it's 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 interesting how many sort of avenues there is that can be taken. Um, but in, in in sort of in an effort to not go long, we've went 50 minutes so far, which is brilliant. It's just sort of peak time. Uh, there's two questions I always ask folk before we sort of sign off. First off, thank you very much for coming on, Brian. I appreciate you taking time out of your day. Uh, it's obviously just coming up for for sort of busy busy planting time there. Um, so yeah, thank you for that. First off, uh, but the questions I ask everyone is uh, where where do you see yourself in five years? And uh, if you had any tips for folk coming into farming, let's sort of focus on arable farming. Uh, what would they be? <clears throat> yeah. So in five years. Um... I probably think kind of financially um, we've just done um, interest rates are very, very low here. So we've basically refinanced the house and every farm mortgage we have. And we, we actually just got done switching banks, which was kind of a, that's a lot of paperwork. <laughs> got <Yep. laughs> close, close loans out and start new loans and we consolidated loans. And then, um, Oh, there's all all kinds of programs out there now with COVID relief type stuff. And yeah. we're looking into some of that and just 
trying to leverage ourselves great um the thing i say about our farm we are a little different in that we own about 80 percent of what we farm which is pretty high um, most people okay. probably rent around half or more of the land they farm so we are in a very good position that probably the best thing for us to do financially long term is not buy much more land okay and just we could have a ultra low land cost which is currently yes. our largest cost but which we could drop almost down to essentially just our property taxes if yeah we yeah just sit still and keep paying those mortgages so that's that's my long term financial view is our our path to growth is to not grow physically okay that makes total sense yeah 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 and would you look at would you look at trying to buy up that extra twenty percent, or would you be happy renting it? We have, one of the farms we rent is furthest from home and our worst soils. Okay. Um, so, if the right piece is close to home for the right price, we would look at replacing that. Right, got you. Yeah, that makes sense. Makes sense. And. Uh, tips for, for for folks that are wanting to maybe come into arable or even i mean obviously coming into owning and renting arable lands a, a huge thing but even just getting started yeah yes <laughs> yeah the i'm have been very very lucky i make sure people know that that i was always a when i left the farm i was always able to come right back yeah uh, we didn't we didn't have to make any big changes for the operation for me to come back and most people that come from farms don't even have that and to start from scratch i i've gotten to know through social media some first generation farmers and that's that's pretty impressive considering i mean if you just wanted to farm 100 acres of corn and um, rent or buy some older machinery to do it i mean you're you're pushing into a million dollar territory easily yeah and you, you can't make a living on 100 acres yeah. Not, on, not on a grain farm. So it is, I've read stories of people that, uh, you know, they want to farm. They don't come from a farming family. They will uh, go around and talk to farmers, maybe retiring or something and maybe work for them or rent the ground and the equipment from them to get their foot in the door. And it's, I'm not the expert because I didn't have to do that. But uh, yes. if you can swing it as a first generation grain farmer, uh, you're doing something right. Yeah, and uh, I like the, the first generation thing. I'm trying to think when this podcast goes out. Two podcasts ago, we had a, a, a couple called Our Farming Journey. That's not their names. That's what they're, they're sort of like. You're this the farmer's life. Uh, they're Our mm -hmm. Farming Journey, um, Rachel and Jake. And that's what they've done. They've started out from, from not having a farm and they're doing well. And I couldn't commend folk that do it more. I'm, I'm in the same position as yourself, Brian. We're not a grain farm, we're a stock farm, but that when i was at uni if i had off time i could always come back get some work done it was always there and it, it's such a lucky position to be in but i think what you're saying if you can do it fair play to you <laughs> from from kicking off yeah yeah one one guy i know in the southern half of the state i've gotten to know a little bit he's first generation farmer and he he farms about twice as much as we do but uh he's i think he said he rented his first field from a guy when he was 14. right <laughs> that's brilliant oh god yeah 
Fair play to 14. Jesus. Yeah. Um, is it, so he made some money off a of lemonade stand and then went and put it into land. Right, you're right, it. yeah. <laughs> turned, it in, turned it into dirt. Yeah, brilliant. Um, yeah, thank you. Uh, I don't. Maybe you've got anything else to say, Brian. If, if not, I think that would be a good time to, to cut it. Um, yeah. And yeah. thanks for the invite. It's been fun. No, not at all. Thank you very much for having me on. Uh, no, you didn't have me on. Uh, thank you for coming on. From me around. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Taking, out your, uh, taking time out of your day. Uh, uh, I know you said you sort of take Saturday afternoons off uh, when you're not in the field, but still, you didn't have to spend it with some random bearded lad from Scotland. Um, so, yeah, I appreciate that. And uh, uh, I hope you've, hope you've enjoyed it and we'll, we'll keep in touch. Sounds good. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you to everyone that came along as well, guys. Uh, hope you enjoyed it. And uh, we'll see you in two weeks' time for what will be the 10th edition, R2Cast number 10. I don't know who it is yet. <laughs> so we'll see you then. Thanks for coming along. And uh, yeah, thanks again to Brian. <laughs>